0: Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's Talking Africa program. Talking Africa provides in-depth interviews with experts and other actors in the field of peace and security in Africa.
1: Hello, I'm Desmond Davis. My guest today is Victor Baba Aligo, a trainer at the Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya. Uh, Victor, please tell us a bit about the Kakuma refugee camp in
2: Kenya. Uh, Kakuma Refugee Camp is a camp that has been around for quite some time. Its inception goes back to the early 90s, uh, during the civil war in the then Sudan. Right now, of course, we have Sudan and we have South Sudan. But the Kakuma Refugee Camp developed as a humanitarian response to that particular uh, conflict that had been raging on for quite some time. So the first uh, residents of Kakuma happened to be refugees crossing over from the then Sudan to Kakuma camp. Over the time, of course, we've had several conflicts within the Horn of Africa region. And so the camp has become accommodative and it's a microcosm of Africa because here you get to see and interact with refugees from Ethiopia, from Eritrea, from Somalia, uh, from Burundi, Rwanda and so on, and so to speak. So Takuma is a pretty pan-African kind of a community. It's situated in the northern part of Kenya.
1: That's the point. I mean, the camp has been there for over 30 years. I mean, are there any moves to ensure that it at least transform itself to a proper uh, community rather than a community of refugees? How
2: is life there in the camp? It's, it's not easy for so many people, but they are managing with what they have. Most refugees here have sort of made lemonades out of lemon which is yeah. very interesting. So you have a very vibrant and robust a pan-African community that have found a home here. And it will interest you to know that Kakuma in so many cases is referred to yes. as a point of transition to so many refugees because most of the refugees that are in Kakuma see Kakuma as a point of transition for resettlement. And resettlement here means American destination or Western uh, Europe uh, destinations. That's why Takuma has been around for quite some time.
1: That's interesting. So people just sit there and wait to be uh, relocated to the West. That's I, right. But isn't that rather defeatist? I mean, people just get there rather than even try and integrate within the Kenyan community or, or within the neighboring countries. They're just waiting to be uh, relocated abroad. That's rather defeatist, isn't
2: it? That's right. And that's why we have so many uh, refugee led organizations within the camp that have taken time and their resources to try to see to it that they can change the behavior of people around. And UNHCR and the Kenyan government, they have played their role in in trying to empower individuals here to to see to it that they can make something out of their life while within the camp.
1: Yes, what's the population of the camp now?
2: If we are to say the documented number, it could be anything from 250,000 and more. Yes,
1: give us an insight how the camp operates really with 250,000 people there. It must be quite interesting. You've been at the center of the oh, whole thing.
2: It's a very well, humongous uh, um, settlement camp. Right now, it's of course being managed or driven by the Kenyan government and the UNHCR on the other hand. Of course, we have other organizations that are within the ecosystem. We have the Lutheran World Foundation. And we have refugee-led organizations too that play a critical role in terms of providing basic services or what you would call public good. So in most cases, um, the UNHCR together with its partners provide, you know, food, sanitation and so on and so to speak.
1: You yourself have been a refugee. Can you just take us through your own personal experience, where you came from and how you got there and how you've reached uh, this stage in your life.
2: Well, I've been in Kenya for the last uh, 20 plus years. And the rationale behind that is because there was conflict in my country of origin. That's South Sudan. Uh, My father was facing persecution on grounds of faith. And because of our wishes and, and good people around the world, we were able to travel to Kenya. And ever since then, Kenya has become my home. You know, I'm like a honorary Kenyan. I don't know a yes. Kenyan. And, and I've yes. tried to make the most out of it. And I have to say that Kenya has been generous enough in, in opening her arms and borders to refugees from across um the Horn of Africa region. So tremendous respect for the Kenyan government and the Kenyan people, right? They see us as brothers. They see us as sisters. And over time, we've become you know, of a community. We've developed some kind of camaraderie and respect. And right now, the host communities here see refugees as brothers and sisters. Over and beyond that, of course, refugees get to have access to education. Kenya has one of the most um robust and vibrant education systems across the world. You just need to look at uh, the human resource in Kenya. Obviously, because of that, Kenya has attracted uh, quite a number of diplomatic, organizations from across the world. UN Habitat has its home here, UNDP, and so on, and so to speak.
1: Well, indeed, that's quite interesting, because, I mean, in Europe itself, Uh, Europe has its own issues with refugees, mainly coming from Albania, Afghanistan, and Syria. But when they come, the sort of demands they make, you don't get refugees in Africa making those demands. They fit in quite easily. So don't you think that maybe we should open up the camp so the authorities in, in Western Europe, for
2: them to come and have a look on how to deal with the refugee problem. I absolutely agree with you. Kenya is a good uh, case study. When you are looking things from a migration and integration perspective, of course, so much needs to be done. Yes. But I can t- tell you that so much has been done. When I take a, a rear view at the mirror, I feel so much has been done in terms of uh, integration, in terms of empowerment. The government has been very robust in terms of um, streamlining her policies to global conventions or treaties that govern, of course, migration, refugees. And here I'm referring to the 1951 Convention on Refugees and so on and so to speak. Kenya has a robust legal system. We have a pretty proactive uh, government. Uh, You know, all has not been rosy, but when you take a look at time, you see that there's lots of progress that has been made. And back to your question, I feel other parts of the world, including Europe and Asia, they could, I think, take a leaf or two from the Kenyan context here.
1: Actually, when I introduced you, I said you're a trainer at the camp. Can you please tell me what that entails? What you've been doing? Because I, I believe, you're involved in some training project that could lift the lives of some of the inhabitants of the camp.
2: Uh, we are running a project on on mediation, a uh, peace building, and and leadership. And our program is anchored on goal 16 of the sustainable development on peaceful and, and inclusive societies and the camp over time has had its own uh, peculiar and unique problems as a matter of fact there is empirical study and evidence that you know so many camps around the world becoming incubators for conflicts and, yes. and and frictions between refugees and and host communities of course a scarcity of resources, you know, spill over of disputes sometimes. Some of these refugees, when they they come from their countries, unfortunately, some of the conflicts from their countries spill over to the countries where they find a sanctuary. And to an extent, that has been the case here in Kakuma, you know, group or ethnic rivalries that sometimes, you know, turn into ugly things. And so our project, which is anchored on goal 16 of the Sustainable Development, uh, tries to address that problem how can we empower refugees and host communities with mediation skills and peace-building skills and obviously leadership. One of my mentors says that everything rises and falls on leadership and we feel leadership is going to be a fundamental in this training that we are trying to um, pass across to refugees and host communities in Tacoma. So that's a project in a nutshell.
1: Then how, how do you go about it? Because I mean... You selected a few refugees to start the program. How is that progressing? Give us a breakdown of what they're actually trending.
2: So we picked about uh, 20 individuals, of course, from the refugee community and host community. And the rationale behind that is so that we can have a holistic approach on how we want to advance this uh, particular uh, program. You realize that these people live together, and so it's, it's important That when programs are being developed that you integrate both communities and so we have identified about 20 individuals and these 20 individuals are community leaders these are individuals who have voices or are opinion leaders within their respective uh, communities and and so we are taking them through a three-month a a kind of a program where we're exposing them to our skills on mediation so uh, skill development is of essence to what we do. But beyond that, we are doing conflict coaching as well, just trying to shift their mindset. And hopefully if the pilot project runs well, because this is still a pilot project, and and we have an interesting piece to this project from a technological advancement. We have partnered with a tech firm in Geneva that is providing uh, these small boxes that is the size of your coffee mug. And the interesting or beautiful thing about this technology is that it has a way of generating its own local network system. So our participants don't need to worry about the luxury of internet and so on, and so to speak.
1: Yes, I mean, but it's a huge camp. And how do people get to the center for training? And also, what's the cost? I mean, who's funding the project? Do the refugees themselves have to pay?
2: Uh, we've, We've partnered with the Winston International Foundation that is sort of... Uh, funding the entire project uh, from a technological and logistical standpoint, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. The Weinstein International Foundation, of course, has tentacles across the world, and they concentrate or major on on access to justice and programs that are tied around mediation. So they are making this possible. Over and beyond that, most refugees um, they come from different points. Of course, earlier on I mentioned to you that the camps are humongous. Uh, a camp in terms of geographical expanse. And we have refugees who at times, you know, walk one hour just to be in class. And we have some of them, of course, using bikes. The most predominant uh, transportation system within the camp is the use of motorbikes and bicycles, right? And so so many of them make use of that to attend to our classes.
0: You are listening to Talking Africa on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome back. My guest today is Victor Baba-Aligo, a trainer at the Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya. This training uh, you're talking about, I mean, does it extend to uh, Kenyans who live around the area or is it just for the refugees for the time being?
2: Uh, That's a good question and thank you for bringing that up. Earlier on, I mentioned that our approach right from the get-go was a holistic approach. And we have tried as much as possible to integrate and incorporate the host community. So we have Kenyans who are participating in the program.
1: What will they get in the end? What sort of qualification, what sort of experience, expertise they'll have that will help them to further their lives?
2: Uh, We are looking at very fundamental skills such as uh, strategic communication. You have a background in journalism and strategic uh, communication yes. so that's one of the skills that we are laying an emphasis on and the end goal is to curate and shift their mindset to, to having dialogue right and and this is something that is rare within the african uh, fabric you know having societies that are open to dialogue and communication and so on and so to speak uh, that's one of the skills that we feel is um, fundamental number two we are looking at skills such as negotiation and negotiation here is Um, a discussion, right? Again, we are looking at concepts such as apologies and forgiveness. And for for this particular concept, uh, we are looking at case studies of Rwanda and South Africa, how apology and and forgiveness have been critical pillars of their societies.
1: So which means that uh, with this sort of program, you finally more or less eradicated the issues of conflicts, radicalization, and uh, violence in these camps. Is Kakuma now a safe haven for refugees from all over the region?
2: Uh, we wouldn't say 100% safe, uh, but it's safe to so many individuals. We can say that. But nonetheless, I feel more needs to be done. Um, there's lots of um, success you know, stories that we can always take of our backs for having achieved. But I feel more needs to be done. And for this to be done, I feel we need an inclusive kind of a process where we can bring together all the stakeholders uh, involved within uh, the ecosystem of migration and refugee affairs within the camp and and beyond. And this is a pilot study, as I told you earlier on. We have plans to escalate this to other camps in the African region and across the world, so to speak.
1: You did mention earlier when I spoke to you before the interview, some tie-ups with the university and there'll be some recognized qualifications for the refugees. How will that work out?
2: And that's going to be important in terms of looking at things from access to a higher education. Right now, if you look at the math or the statistics, it said that only 6% of refugees have access to a higher quality education. Mm. And we feel that if we were to address things from that standpoint, it would as well increase access to higher education. And so collaborating and having partnerships with, you know, institutions of higher education from within the region. And I know MasterCard Foundation has a foot on the ground. It it has been very forthcoming in terms of sponsoring or providing um, education to refugees. Um, That has been done, but I feel more needs to be done. And that's why we are looking at partnerships with, higher institutions within the region and across the world
1: that's very interesting because when i come to kenya i've seen some organizations for kenyan women who uh, started from scratch and they were encouraged and whatever and quite a few of them have studied to the phd level i know one or two of them have done that through the uh, african leadership center so i mean uh, have you been reaching out to these uh, institutions in kenya to see whether they can even organize proper training for the uh, the refugees in the camp?
2: I feel the United States of Africa um, has done or played its, its role, very critical. Uh, we are still having off the cuff conversations. Uh, beyond that, we are looking at conversations with uh, universities from other parts of the world. Uh, right now we're having conversations with um, Arizona State University. We have the Pepperdine uh, University based in the United States, uh, which has a very robust and cutting edge program particularly on conflict resolution, mediation to be specific. So we are still having conversations and trying to see how we can put our heads together and form some kind of synergy uh, to take our programs to the next um, stage or to the next level.
1: Yeah, that's what I was about. It's because you more or less focus on issues that are related to conflict prevention. I mean, what about wider academic studies that stand uh, these refugees in good stead in the future?
2: Um, right now, our program is a certificate program. We have every intention to evolve and escalate to a diploma course. And, and for us to do that, partnerships are going to be significant. And so at this point in time, we're sort of approaching quite a number of institutions on how we can structure that and how we can develop working formulas as well. So your question is... Very strategic in what we are doing.
1: So, I mean, this is just to start. You will expand once things are up and running properly. But of course, it needs the funding. How have you been doing in terms of raising funding for the projects?
2: Right now, as I speak to you, our principal sponsors have been the Winston International Foundation. And so we are still working on how to bring more uh, institutions that can finance or that can believe in what we're doing. So it's still a conversation that we are having. Again, different stakeholders that we really uh, would want to engage. But over and above that, um, these are ideas that we are floating around.
1: Yes, and uh, it's quite interesting because one of the things that was mentioned in the article about the camp was a man called Pastor Philip He from South Sudan. He's been there since 1995. It's more or less home to him now. I mean, would he even want to leave to go somewhere else? Would he even want to go back to South Sudan? Will most of them want to go back? I mean, uh, I will leave there for almost 30 years. How do they uh, that, react that, that, to life in the camp?
2: So many of them out of lemon, they have tried as much as possible to make lemonades. So some of them consider this as their home and mm-hmm. they have tried to rebuild their lives again here. Building your life from ground up, it's not a walk in the back And So many of them in strange ways have tried to do that and kudos and high fives to them. And even while they are here, they engage into constructive and productive activities. Because some of them have become critical members within the society. They have become sort of community leaders once in a while when there are issues in the community. You know, they are approached and they are able to provide solutions, right? This place has become a home to him.
1: So, I mean, it's a real community itself. It's a town, it's a village. I mean, everything just like any other African
2: town, isn't it? Yes. You know, they have most of these public goods, electricity, you know, running water, They have stores. They have, you know, commercial setups running up and down, which is very important. So it's become a civilization, and and I have to say this and give it to them. They have integrated solar energy to a greater extent and looking at things from a green energy standpoint. Right now, the whole world is talking about climate change. I feel the camp is sort of advanced in terms of that conversation because they have, to a larger extent, incorporated a green energy in what they do, which is something incredible. I just have to give it to them here.
1: Well, that's good. I think what you should do more is to highlight the work of the camp and uh, globally, which might uh, change perceptions of how uh, refugees uh, dealt with and what the refugee issue is all about. Because, I mean, there are two issues, as you very well know. Refugees who are desperate who move to the next country and illegal immigrants who pick and choose where they want to go. These issues need to be resolved so that uh, the Western European discourse on refugees should be disabused and, and and to say that no, those who come are different from those who are running away from conflict in Africa.
2: Uh, that, that's true, you know, uh, having a dichotomy between refugees who flee on fear of persecution and economic migrants, for lack of yes. a better word, is yes. a conversation that we need to have as a global community, and so much of research needs to be put into that. Yes. Even as we talk about climate change, climate change, uh, five or 10 years to come, it's going to be one of the largest drivers or contributors to migration and displacement across the world. So you are spot on to bring this uh, matter.
1: Yes, but at least you have a Kakuma camp where they can start fine-tuning the green energy, which can then be uh, used as a standard in communities around Africa and in other developing countries. So I think you should push for, for that type of uh, lifestyle, you know, the green lifestyle in Kakuma camp.
2: Yes, I feel more attention needs to be uh, drawn to that. And and so maybe, you know, some groups, and by some groups here, I mean, era um, laws, you know, refugee-led organizations can can yes. pick up on the same and and begin to advocate on the same. You know, how the camp is becoming a case study for green energy
1: but overall i mean how how do you see your project and uh, the one you're leading and also the the future of
2: the camp so far we see progress tremendous progress uh we're beginning to see a culture shift to peaceful you know forms of a dispute settlements within the community and that is something that should be celebrated so our first phase of the program obviously is skill development And we are hoping that this will lead us to our second phase, building a community management system, a management system where community disputes can be handled through negotiation, through mediation and through other peaceful uh, forms of conflict resolution. So right now we are just about to uh, evolve to the second phase, which is building a community kind of a setup where all disputes within the camps, within uh, refugees and host communities can be resolved through mediation negotiation and other forms of uh, dispute resolutions
1: finally uh, movement in the camp is not static in the sense that uh, people are leaving but new refugees are coming is that the case i mean there's still conflict around the region you still get new uh, influx of refugees how would you handle that
2: um that's right you know new entrants is a preserve of the UNHCR and the Kenyan government. They have robust mechanisms on how to orient refugees who are coming on board. As you rightly pointed out, uh, the region is pretty unstable. Currently, just look at what's happening in South Sudan. South Sudan is evolving into a humanitarian disaster. Right now, as we speak, and every other day. So there is a pileup of um, displacements and migration within the region. And so every other day um, here in Kakuma, there are new refugees that come, but obviously there are refugees who get opportunities to be resettled in other uh, parts of the world.
1: Victor Baba Aligo, a trainer at the Kakuma
0: Refugee Camp in Kenya, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Talking Africa and ALC Pan-African Radio. For these and other programs, please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at